Have you ever been on a mission trip? Do you remember that first feeling you had when you got to your destination? Uh, when you stepped off the plane in South Africa, or you stood on the front in, in the front yard of Fishhook Baptist Church, where John Thomas pastored for so long that started Living Hope, and you looked across the street to Masapumale, the settlement where thousands of people gather in tin huts and cardboard houses. Chicago, where you stand on the street with Pastor Jamie Thompson and, he's, and he points to you from this point to that point down the street. More murders happen there than anywhere else in Chicago. Guatemala, Brazil. Going down there for a couple of days of an eye clinic or a health clinic and realize that there have been people spending nights in line waiting for you to get there. And not only are they around the block, they're lined up around the city. You go through the favela in Brazil and you think, what am I doing here? Your, your first impulse, honestly, is to get back on the plane. It, it, it is. This is a mistake. I have no business here. I, 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 I don't know what I can do here. Whatever we do in the handful of days that we're here is a drop in the bucket, a thimble of the ocean. What in the world are we doing here? We're overwhelmed. Oh, you don't have to go far to be overwhelmed. You can pick up the paper and read about how the adoption process in Tennessee is overwhelmed. Too many kids. Too many kids with particular needs and no homes with the facilities to respond to those set of particular needs. We don't know what to do. And so, sadly, too many of us will push back in our easy chair and we'll decide since we don't know what to do, we won't do anything at all. But you know what? We're not the first people to be overwhelmed. We're not the first people to be devastated by what we see. In fact, one of the earlier stories is in the book of Ezekiel. Stand with me now in honor of God's word. As we read one verse, it's in chapter 3. I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv. They were living by the Kabar Canal. And I sat there among them, stunned for seven days. 
I came to the exiles at Tel Aviv who were living by the Kabar Canal. And I sat there among them, stunned for seven days. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. Overwhelmed, stunned, abandoned, destroyed. That's what Ezekiel felt. That's what we feel. And we pray like Ezekiel, like the other prophets, like the other brothers and sisters who have been in moments where we have been overwhelmed, that your grace will once more be sufficient. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, you're reading through the Bible. You have taken the challenge and you're going to read through the Bible in a year. And you've done pretty well. You've slogged through Leviticus. You've made it through Deuteronomy. First and second Kings, well, they're stories. They're pretty good. First and second Samuel, they're good. Now you have hit the prophet Ezekiel. And you're wondering, what's this guy drinking? Come on now. Circles whirling in the air, all kinds of creatures that this guy sees, and you're wondering what is going on in this man's life that would give opportunity, window to this kind of prophecy. Well, if you read the story of Ezekiel, you will understand that he is prophesying, he is preaching in one of the most confusing times in all of Jerusalem's history. We think he was somewhere around the reign of King Josiah. Now, you remember King Josiah? He led the Reformation. He's cleaning out the temple. Uh, there is great hope in Jerusalem that, that the greatness of the nation will be restored under Josiah's leadership. And then Josiah is killed in battle. The Egyptian army kills him. And so now our great king, our great reformer is lost. Jerusalem becomes a subject of Egypt until Babylon comes in and runs out Egypt. Now we are subjects of Babylon, but what about Assyria? Assyria had, see, we got Assyria fading off. We got Egypt going back to Egypt. We got Babylon coming in and we got Jerusalem right in the crosshairs. If you look at a map of the Middle East, one of the things you will see is that God put Jerusalem at the four-way stop of the ancient world. Every trade route, every travel route came through Jerusalem. That's why it's always in the center of war because it became um, uh, extremely important to control that area if you wanted to control the trade routes and travel. You had to control that area. That's where God put his people. And Ezekiel is in the middle of it. Now, Ezekiel, the first three chapters are about his call and the dramatic things that God is telling him. And then God tells him, I want to show you who you're going to be preaching to. 
and he takes him to exiles who have made their home at the Gabar Canal. And he sees them. And he is stunned, overwhelmed, desolate, destroyed. The encounter with these exiles has been every bit as devastating as Ian to Florida. Everything about Ezekiel is wiped away in the face of their suffering. And he doesn't say anything for seven days. Seven days, a biblical number for completeness. He sat with them long enough to endure their suffering, to feel their pain, to share their hopelessness. One of the reasons we don't love is that it hurts. Okay, we choose to have acquaintances rather than friends. Friends are expensive. Right? They cost you time. They cost you energy. Uh, they cause you trouble because they get in trouble. And if you're their friend, then you're in trouble with them. They embarrass you. But what do you do? You're their friend. Love like that hurts. Few of us have the spiritual capacity to sit with someone in the darkness when there are no easy answers and hurt. A friend comes home to find out his wife has left him, calls you. The doctor comes back with a diagnosis that nobody expected. Calls you. Friend loses his job. Worse, a friend gets fired from a job. Publicly where being identified with that person in public might cost you something. What do you do? What do you do when you are blown away? Nothing. Did you hear me? Nothing. One reason is because when a friend is hurting like that, the last thing they need for you to do is do something. Okay, you can only bring so many casseroles. Okay, but are you going to be a friend and sit next to me so I don't fall off the edge? Now, 
I want to remind you of, uh, of something that Jesus told to the disciples. Um, it's in John 15, verse 5. You should bring your Bible. I refer to it every now and then. <laughs> I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. You can do nothing without me. You know what the, the, the original Greek for the, the, the word that we translate nothing, you know what it means? Nothing. Okay? And, and the reason I tell you that is there's no other way for you to see this verse. There's no other way to translate it. There's no other way to understand it. If you are disconnected from the source of life that is Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. I can do nothing. Now, we've talked about this over the last several weeks, about how there is the river of life that flows from the throne of God and how you and I are hoses that are connected to that and that glory flows through us, in us, to the community around us, okay? Now, what Jesus is reminding us right now, that even though you might be a perfectly good hose, if the water's not turned on, you're not doing a whole lot. Okay, you can put the hose exactly where it needs to be, but unless you've turned on the faucet, nothing's going to happen. Okay, without that connection, now where does that connection come from? That connection comes from prayer. In the story of the Mount of Transfiguration, it's in Mark uh, chapter 5, I believe, where, where Jesus comes down off of this mountain experience. And he walks into the disciples who weren't part of the Mount of Transfiguration. And walks up to a man who has a sick child. It's in Mark 9. Jesus heals the child. And after the man and his family had left, the disciples came and said, why couldn't we heal this guy? And Jesus says, you can only handle things like this with prayer. Now some transcripts say much prayer. Some transcripts add fasting and prayer. We do not fight flesh and blood, but the powers and principalities of the air, okay? And you only fight that in prayer. Now, I know you're thinking, oh, come on, Mike, you're a Baptist preacher. Answer to everything is prayer. If we roll you out of bed in the middle of the night, you're going to say, let's pray. And that's just the way it is with you and that kind of stuff. No, I'm not talking about now, lay me down to sleep. Okay? I'm talking about tuning your life to the frequency of God. Okay, I, it, it's a shame that some of you are too young to have ever had to tune a radio. Okay, you got the digital thing, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting in a car and having to find the radio station. Now, you knew basically where it was, but then you had to tune it, which means going past it, right? Then you hear this, and today, when it's back. Then you'd have to tune it back, okay? Now, if you're a little bit this way, put it fine, then you hear, there's a song you want, a little bit the other way, not too much. 
Now you got to find it, now you get it back, right? Now some of you children have never had that challenge <laughs> of doing that. Now, not only were we tuning the radio, we were driving with a stick shift. <laughs> Let's hear it for boomers, huh? That's talent in there right there. Did you know that some of the carjackers won't carjack a car that has a stick shift? Because they can't drive it. That's true. Yeah, we could tune that radio. And there was always some guy in your car who had the spiritual gift of tuning. Seriously, this guy could find a radio station because the radio station moved. Right? Because of weather. Okay, if it was cloudy rainy storm, then you'd have to tune in a little bit more. If it was night, it would have to change a little bit. I'm talking about being in prayer long enough so you tune your life to the frequency of God. So you get past the distractions and the distortions on either side and your life is tuned in to the pure, unfiltered, undistracted force of God. That's where you start is in prayer. Now, it may be prayer with fasting to what you're praying about becomes more important than eating. It may be much prayer where you lose sleep or you wake up in the middle of the night and you continue your prayer from the last sentence before you fell asleep. But that's where you start. Now, I know you're thinking, come on, Mike. The things that are wrong in our world, you wanna list them off? They're impossible. They're impossible to fix. People smarter than us, people richer than us, people more talented than us have all tried and all failed. They are impossible. May I remind you that the Christian faith begins with impossible. That's where we start. What in the world is a Galilean preacher, a prophet named Jesus, going to do against the Roman Empire. They'll crucify him like they crucified everybody else. And they did. It was impossible for anything to happen after the death of Jesus. But it did. Impossible is where we start. When you get to a place and it takes your breath away, makes your teeth drop, you're overwhelmed and blown away, guess what? You are exactly where God wants you. We begin with impossible and we begin with prayer. Now, like I said, we aren't the only ones to become overwhelmed. There was another time when the disciples were, 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 were talking to Jesus. 
And there were 5,000 men in the field in front of them. 5,000 men. It's in Mark chapter 6. Now, you know there were more than 5,000 people there, right? They just counted, for some reason, they just counted men. I don't have time to go into that, but that's what they did, okay? So there were lots and lots of people there. The disciples came to Jesus and said, send them into the cities so they can get something to eat. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. The disciples said, it would take 200 denarii to feed these people. Okay, you know what that was? A denarii was a day's wage. If you showed up and got hired for a day, you'd be paid one denarii. Two-thirds of a year's salary. It's what it would take to feed all these people. We don't have that. And remember what Jesus asked next. What do you have? Have you ever noticed Jesus never asked for what you don't have? Okay, I don't know about you, but I am generous with money I don't have. <laughs> ever, ever say, Boy, if I had a million dollars, here's what I would do. I don't have a million dollars. What about you? Boy, if I had a million dollars, I'm generous with money I don't have. But what do you do with the money you do have? What do you do when you're overwhelmed, when you realize this thing is impossible? First, you begin by praying, really praying, tuning your life to the frequency of God. And second, you bring what you have. Jesus, there's a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. From that, we have the banquet that fed 5,000 men and everybody else who was there. Okay, now I know you think it's, that's a great Bible story, but I live in the real world. Okay? If you were John Wilberforce, would you have taken on the most embedded, well-funded economic structure of your day and told the nation of England and all of Great Britain that slavery was wrong and England had to get out of the slave trade. Would you have taken that on? He did. He changed England's mind in the power of the resurrected Christ. What good is Mother Teresa going to do? She's one old nun in the middle of the largest city in India who said she's going to take care of dying lepers. What in the world is she going to do? She changed the world. Impossible is where we begin. And our response is prayer. And our response is bringing what we have. Peter and John are going into the temple to pray. A man stops them. Remember what Peter said? We don't have silver. We don't have gold. But what we do have, we give to you. And they preach the gospel. The last thing you do is you preach the gospel. You tell the story of Jesus. You tell the story of why you're there in the name of Jesus, the risen Christ.
and you start where you are. Pray until you find that frequency where God's voice is clear. Bring what you have. Start where you are and preach the gospel that begins with impossible. I want you to do something for me. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to go to your Kabar Canal. I want you to go to that place in your life that needs to be changed. Somebody needs to do something and you don't know what to do. Now it may be the story you read in the paper about how our adoption system in Tennessee is overwhelmed. It may be about fentanyl and the drug abuse and the damage you're seeing and done in the lives of young people. It may be about the marriages that are struggling, young people trying to find their identity in their way. I want you to go there and I want you to sit there. And if you dare, I want you to start feeling the pain. I want you to allow yourself to be blown away, stunned by what you experience. And I want you to remember that we start with impossible. Though your eyes closed and your heads bowed, we continue in this moment of prayer. AJ will come now, lead us.